So, hello and welcome to this month's episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. I'm your host, Paula Wiseman, and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with actor, writer, comedian and film star, Mr. Dave Johns. Howdy, hey Dave, how are you? Great to be chatting. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, yes, I'm good, I'm good. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, uh, you know, the summer and it's getting a bit dark here in Newcastle now in the evening, so I'm... Um, so, so I'm dreading the sort of the dark nights, but apart from that, I'm cool. I'm good. Yeah, no, it's the same here in Dublin. If it's any consolation, so. Uh... Well, my family are from Dublin. Yes, well, I'll talk to you a little bit about that a bit later, a bit later yeah. on. So, you were born in Tyne and Weir in the north. If anybody's not familiar with it, um, so what sort of memories do you have of your childhood? Were you were you uh, from a big family? No, no, I've just got one sister. I mean, we a very working class family lived in a place called Baker. People might have seen the BBC um, <laughs> um, kids sing Baker Grove, um, uh, which wasn't shot in Baker at all. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, I was born in Baker, you know, sort of um, pretty sort of, um, you know, two rooms, you know, two rooms, um, you know, outside toilet. When I tell my daughter about the outside toilet and the outside taps and that, she just thinks hey, I'm, I'm from Oliver or something like that, you know what I mean? <laughs> It's like she just rolls her eyes and goes, yeah, yeah, okay, then let's tell us about your poor um, uh, time. But yeah, ordinary working class dad. My dad was a joiner. Um, and then, and then you know, and, and lived in the back lanes, you know, the sort of like, because bikers on a hill, so there's loads of back lanes going down. And my earliest memories are shooting down the back lanes and there was a big main road with all the bushes to go across and we'd be on sort of like, a skate, <laughs> one skate with a sort of like a bit of wood or a or a or a beano annual, and we go shoot across the main oh road. And, so yeah, you know, and going around bonfire night and thing up here called Bonnie Raven, where each back lane the kids had their own bonfire wood that they collected, and in gangs, and we used to go around and steal other people's bonfires, you know. And it was <laughs> you know doors, we had doors, and the big thing was to get a telegraph pole, you know, for the middle of the bonfire. So yeah, all that sort of stuff, you know. You just tell I'm working class, I've got a little bit of scratch card and any fingernails. <laughs> uh, get out of the ghetto by winning the bit and the lottery. <laughs> yeah, no, it's similar here. We have like, you know, you see these little four-year-old kids walking up and down the street, dragging these pallets to go and build bonfires. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. You should got the horses in Dublin, sort of, you know, where the kids were in the horses. I know when I was <laughs> over there, all these kids used to have, ride bareback horses around yeah. the fields. And round the road and that, you know, that was pretty cool, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, what what were you like as a kid? Were you? We I can't see you as being a quiet kid, to be honest. No, I was. I was. I wasn't. I, I, like, you know, my daughter, she's pretty academic. You know, she's pretty good. She's doing her GCSEs at the moment, and it's amazing. And so I, I said, well, you, like when she was growing up, don't ask me to help you with maths and stuff like that. Um, no, I was. I was basically, you know loved being out running around in the back lanes and that you know I wasn't a big fan of school you know um I did all my learning after I left school but you know just just loved being sort of you know I was a bit sort of I was always funny I think I think that's what always I think because I wasn't a big kid I think I used being humor to not get punched by the bigger kids so I think it was <laughs> that classic thing you know be the class yeah. plan and be the yeah big kids think oh he's all right they don't punch you you know but, but, but every now and then they just punch you just to make sure you know <laughs> I'm supposed to be the court jester, but yeah, just an ordinary kid, you know, and like, you know, we didn't have much, but I suppose like when you don't have much, you don't know you're poor, really, you know what I mean? My dad yeah. worked, you know, brought in the pay packet on a, on a, on a, on a sort of, um, he used to have this, um, he used to have this, his, his pride and joy was this, like, I think he must, have, I don't know where he got it from, this upright piano, you know? used to have that you know and sort of I remember as kids he'd, he'd pull it out for birthdays and parties and we'd all sit around wishing somebody could play it because <laughs> he, he couldn't play it you know what I mean? we needed we needed so I don't know why he had a piano because he couldn't play it it was all just for um, show <laughs> yeah 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 you know and it, I, I think he was keeping it just in case we ran out of money so cold so he could just smash it up and put it on the <laughs> you know but open fires and all that you yeah. know but it, but, you know, I, I, I thought I was deprived of anything. You know, people always say to me, you know, you're working class and, and you know, and now you sort of mix with a lot of it. That's a great thing about comedy. You get all sorts of different people coming from different walks of life, you know. But I've never found, um, I never felt, you know, the one thing I was was loved by my parents, which was great, you know what I mean? And and so I never thought I, I was I was, I was was sort of um, deprived in any way, you know. You didn't know it till I yeah. got my first girlfriend when I was, 
15 and she came from a posh part in Newcastle called Jesmond and I came, I called her a house and I was, and I was like, you've got two toilets inside. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, oh my God, I've married a princess. You know what I mean? I'm, a princess, I've got to marry her, you know? So, so now I didn't get, get, you know, I just got on with it basically, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, what were, what were your aspirations for when you left school? Did you, was, was there a grand plan? I wish I had, I wish I had aspirations. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I wandered into everything really, you know, and like now with all the film and I just jumping forward when I get asked to go and speak to students at, at, at colleges and drama schools yeah. and all that, and I just, and it's that thing about, you know, trying not to say to them, ah, oh, you don't need to go here, just, just have a go, you know, and, go, and don't tell them not to go to college, you know what I mean? Um, uh, but, you know, and I, 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 no, I didn't have, I just, I was just, you know, playing football in the back lane and just and just running about with my mates. I never had any really r- real aspirations to do anything. And then when I left school, um, my dad was the one who said, um, I've got you an interview f- uh, on a building site for to be a, an apprentice bricklayer. And I went, I don't want to be an apprentice bricklayer. <laughs> and he goes, well, you can go, you'll get the job and then you can look for a job while you've got a job because you're not lying about, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I, so well, I became a bricklayer, you know, and uh, I was probably the worst bricklayer in the world, really. <laughs> I mean, they used to call us the manhole king because he used to send me off in the building sites into these big fields where it, it's like, you know, how the building site moves up the fields as they're building the houses. And they used to send me off right into where, 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 when it was just fields when they were putting the manholes in. And they just dumped me there with a pile of brick and a pile of uh, sand cement. And I'd just build these manholes and all the guys used to call us the manhole kill. I mean, I should just have a pint of wood and sit in the sunshine and listen to Radio <laughs> 1, you know. I think, oh, I've got to build a bit of a man. Well, it used to take us forever, you know. So, so I wasn't the greatest pretty, but, I, but, you know, going round and round in circles was pretty good for me, you know, building the manhole. No, no, I was, just, I was just funny, I think. That's what it was, but I was never any... I didn't have any great insight of what I wanted to do. I just thought, you know, thinking back, I, I mean, you know, get. I, I remember when I was a kid being taken to... Um, the theatre in Newcastle in about 70, about 1970, must have been the first time that the, um, it's the Playhouse now, but it, um, Northern Stage, but it used to be called the University Theatre, and it must have opened about 1970, and I remember a teacher taking us all in, that was the first time I'd been in the theatre, and we went to see Death of a Salesman. Oh, wow. And that, and that just blew us away. I mean, you know, I mean, I can imagine the teacher trying to get these little these urchins who got dragged along with the theologists going, oh, God, and, you know, as, 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 you know, trying, oh, great, we're getting out of double math, so we'll go. But I was just fascinated by it. I'd never been to theatre before, and that, and that made us go, and, that, and that's when I thought, wow, this is pretty, pretty cool. I would love to do something like this. And then even to this day, when I go into a, a theatre, when it's dark just before the audience come in, I love standing on the dark stage and just smelling it and feeling it, you know? And, and that's how I got into performing I think because I, I was um and then the teacher said oh there's drama clubs you know so I started going to this local drama club in in, uh, in Walls End which is a little town just from Piper and in uh, Charlotte Street Arts Centre and just doing a bit of acting and that and I think that's that saved, saved, saved my life really you know my mates couldn't look at what are you doing that for you know what I mean <laughs> There's loads of girls there. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, were you performing before the comedy came, before the comedy started? No, 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 not, 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 not at all. And then, and then I did that up until I was about sort of 17 or 18. I did the draw, like Charlotte, I used to go down there, you know, and we'd do things like Shakespeare and all that. But I never, the thing is, that's the thing, being a working class, I never thought that I could ever go into theatre. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was posh kids, you know what I mean? So I became a bricklayer and I've been and I hated that and I went through different jobs and building sites and then and then you know just drifted along and and uh, the reason I got into comedy was because of um, I started working at the time here in Opera House and on the fly floor um, there was a there was a, like an amateur group used to have this um, theatre that they that w- it was an old cinema porn cinema but it used to be an opera house. <laughs> 1800s and I got turned in the 70s got turned into an old porn cinema called the stall and then I closed down and they and they bought it and they went right. in and they refurbished it and now it's an opera house now and I used to help down there and then I started being in the fly floor sort of um 
um, flying in all the scenery for the musicals. That's how I know all the songs for the musicals because um, I used to sit and watch them all the time. But, you know, before that, I was just, I'd have loved to have got into performing, but, but I didn't know how, you know. I thought, well, you've got to go to drama school and yeah, that's yeah. Gonna, and all that, you know. And it, it, it always felt, it, it was full of posh, posh people, you know. It always felt sort of like that that was posh people's um, yeah. place. We as a working class kids could get in there, you know. Yeah, I suppose it's like the whole Cambridge, you know, the footlights kind of thing. Mm. There, there was nowhere up here in the sort of 70s and 80s, apart from going into sort of like working men's clubs and that. Yeah. I didn't fancy, you know, I didn't fancy going to work men's clubs. That wasn't, I loved, you know, my, my thing was Monty Python and all that mm. sort of weird stuff. And and then the late 80s came along and, and uh, the boom of alternative comedy, you know. And I remember the biggest Damascus experience I ever had, a, a mate of mine, moved down to London, Mickey Hutton, he, he, he was like a guitarist in a band, and he says to me, oh, he says, I've sort of do some comedy. And I went, oh, he goes, yeah, um, I've been doing open spots around this, this, these places, comedy clubs in London. And so he took us to the comedy store and four acts on in London, and it blew me away. And I just went, wow, this is what I've been looking for, you know? It was just so brilliant. And the Time Theatre and Opera House had this little bistro that wasn't doing anything on a Saturday night and so I said I came up and I said this would go down brilliant so I said to the people who owned the club I said can I put a comedy club on on a wow. Saturday night and they went yeah but we're not paying the acts I went oh no I'll, I'll do the door and the publicity and you can take the bar and it became one of the biggest comedy clubs in in the country everybody played there you know Frank Skinner Jack D Joe Brand Steve Coogan right in the beginning Eddie Izzard I had them all when they were just starting off and I was just starting off and I used to compare it you know yeah. every week so I used to just compare it so I got good pretty quick but that was all just a matter of you know I, I wasn't planning it it just sort of you know I went down saw it they had a room yeah. I went up put this on I made sort of posters I just wrote posters out <laughs> went went down to the university and it got massive because it was just 1989 90 when you know young students were getting into yeah. alternative comedy you know because yeah, yeah. Friday Night Live was on and all that and Saturday Night Live all at ARM in America and so all these cool comics you know like like you know Bill Bailey was in the double act called the Rubber Bishops and 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 sort of you know where uh, my great mate who sadly died recently Sean Locke you know um, I met Sean 33 years ago at, the, wow. at my club you now. And then I used to go down to London because basically I used to compare every Friday, Saturday night. So I got good pretty quick so I could go down and get open spots and get gigs pretty much, you know, straight away in that day. You, you didn't have to do open spots for like 14 years before they got a great <laughs> gig. Uh, you, um, you could just, as long as you were good, you would get the gig the next day, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you've been a stand-up now for 31 years, incredibly. Yeah, so, I mean, what memories do you have of your first first time on on stage doing stand-up? Well, Joe, you should ask Joe Brand that, because she still takes the kids out of this <laughs> about it my first, because basically the first people I booked for my club was Joe Brand and Jack D. And she said to me, and I said, how much do you want? And I went, we want 100 quid each. And it was like 100 quid in, 1980, in 1990. I was like, a lot of money. <laughs> 200 quid from. So I basically... And Jackson's at this day, so I was signing on while I was working, uh, you know, doing a little bit of job. So I, so I, I, I top Jack D's fee up out of my door money. <laughs> and I was charging two quid for the tickets, and I sold enough tickets. And, uh, and they said, well, who's comping? I went, oh, I don't know. I can't afford to get a comp. I went, oh, I'll do it. So Joe Brand always says to me, I did this thing about chitty, chitty, bang, bang, and I've forgotten what it was, but it was so bad. It was crap. And Joe still says to me, Ah, uh, you remember Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and feel like it wasn't, you know, this terrible routine about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So, yeah. But, but I had to learn quick because I yeah. was working at the weekend, you know, and I got very good at dealing with the audience. And, you know, my stuff comes from improv, really, from playing around with the audience and that, you know, and that's where I got good in and I've been and I got material from just playing around with ideas. But, you know, so, but yeah, I remember my first, my first, in my first open spots, the first few gigs when you go in, you know, and you, you're going to start the show and you see that mic up there and your stomach just turns over, you know. <laughs> now, now I could spend all day on stage, which, which sometimes I get accused of doing. <laughs> <laughs> just because I love it so much, you know yeah. what I mean? But, but yeah, it's, and it was great. I just thought, my God, you can get paid for doing this. You yeah. get paid for doing I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was just, it was just people sitting to me, 
oh, I've got any advice with being, you know, being a comedian? And I say, you know, just keep saying funny stuff. And it might sound facetious, but it's not, it, it is, you know? If you keep saying funny stuff, then yeah. you'll be a comedian. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you know, I always say, you know, um, that's uh, that's the way. And it just, and, and I found something that I thought, oh my God, this is absolutely, you know, getting paid for just not having, for to me, it felt like not having to do much effort. Yeah. Because yeah. I would always, like I do, you know, I don't think, Anybody, you know, I, I do like being funny. I do. I'm, I'm always in scores into trouble with not with people thinking I don't think to take things serious, you know. Um, um, but I just kind of help it. It's the way my mind's um, sort of jigged up, you know. You just see funny things happening, you know. Yeah, yeah. As well, he's like that, Bob Mortimer, you know. You just kind of help but see funny things, you know what I mean? You, you know, and there is a time and sometimes, I mean, one friend said to me, it was Dave Johns, he says the most inappropriate things. <laughs> At the most appropriate time, <laughs> which is quite a nice thing for me to say to you, you know what I mean? That'd be a nice thing to have on your headstone, wouldn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said the most inappropriate things at the most appropriate time. Yeah. <laughs> You've worked with ev- literally everyone you could possibly name. Kevin Eldon, Harry Hill, Frank Skinner, Bill oh. Bailey, Christian Slater. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle. I've worked with Dave Chappelle, the American comic. I've worked with, uh, I did, a, uh, I, I did a, an opening slot for Bill Hicks in the wow. early 90s. I've opened for Prince. <laughs> Prince. <laughs> yeah, I opened for Prince at the um, um, the Millennium Tube. They wanted somebody to go and do the warm-up for the crowd. And I was thinking, what, Prince needs a warm-up? So I went on and you can see everybody going, who's this bloke? And I just said, hello, I'm Prince's dad. And he's asked us to come, and you can see them going, Prince is his dad, it's Jordy. And I go, now I know he's not called Prince now, he's called the artist formerly known as, but me and his mum are really upset at that, you know? <laughs> we, we're not being able to use his right name. And then I had to get Chris Moyles and, um, and, and Lauren Laverne on to introduce the, um, the Millennium slot because the tube was a, a, a rocks yeah. uh, programme. Yeah. Holland and, and, and Paula Wilcox used to. And so, and so I... Um, Went uh, and they told me I shouldn't speak to him. They said you can't speak to him. Don't speak to him. Don't make eye contact with him. And I'm just thinking, what? This is. Imagine. <laughs> Prince is probably saying, I don't think anybody likes me because nobody ever speaks to us any way I go. And it's just his entourage, and we stand at the side of the stage with his band waiting to come on. And as I was got Chris Moyles and them on, I was walking up, and he was standing there, and he parted. He let me get through, and I couldn't help it. So I just lightly punched him on the arm, and I went. Keep it tight, mate. We haven't got all night, you know. <laughs> and the crew were business, but then the management started bollocking us. What are you doing? What are you doing? You've punched him in the arm. I didn't punch him in the arm. I just put it, you know what I mean? And you were told not to speak to him. And I'm going, oh, shut up, man. I mean, you know, I just thought, I thought that this would be funny, you know? So I just went, yeah. fun. You know, keep it tight. And it was like, and it's like, you know, it's, 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 so yeah, I've, I've opened for, yeah, yeah, I've worked with loads of different, you know, loads of comics over the years, yeah. I've been along, around a long time, you know, played in probably every comedy club in Britain, did a, you did a gig at an open spot. Do you, remember, do you remember in Dublin, the Gasworks, was it the Gasworks down on the quayside? It was where they filmed part of um, The Commitments. Yeah, where, yeah. Where, where, you know, when he's walking along the street in, um, in Curtis, Mayfield or somebody who's supposed to be coming to see him and they don't yeah. and he doesn't turn up and they think that um, they, they've lied and then he's walking after the gig's finished and the big limousine pulls up yeah yeah well there was a club on the quay I don't, um, um, in Dublin called um, the Gasworks and they started a comedy club there and I just phoned up and I just went and I phoned up Billy McGraw he was he was a, he was a Billy McGraw was the preparator he used to work for, I, for, for RTE I think that was the guy in the in the set, and I said, "Hello, I'm an English comedian. Um, I'm coming over to visit my relatives. <laughs> Can I have a spot?" He went, "Yeah, brilliant." So, so and that's when I met Ardlo Hanlon. Yeah, and uh, and in Kevin Gildee, they were on. Um, they, uh, that was when Ardlo was Mr. Trellis. Yes, yes. And you know, so so I went on there and did and did a gig, and, and I just came in, and that's what you could do. Then you could phone up a club and just go, "Oh yeah, I'm a comedian," and then we just go. So so I did a gig. In the early 90s, God, 91 in Dublin, you know. Um, and I think that was probably one of the first comedy clubs in Dublin then. Yeah, we yeah. Ardle, Kevin and Barry, uh, Barry Stop. Murphy. Oh, they yeah. opened the first. So you've kind of got that in common with them as well. You know, they opened yeah, the first yeah. comedy oh, club you know, 
in and I met Tommy in uh, in Galway um, at the GPO. Um, Tommy did his first open spot, and I was up at the and, 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 and this young kid came on and and he's asking me advice and, and Tommy just be funny man and he was just doing loads of daft observations I mean yeah. Tommy became friends actually um but yeah great you know what I mean that turn of foot and then the next thing I know Tommy's absolutely huge yeah. in Dublin and he's like Jesus when he walks down the street <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's like I mean people like I mean it's unbelievable walking down the street with him with Tommy turning in, in Galway at the cup you know they just they're just like it's like ah Tommy yeah. Tommy Tommy Well, what's the surprise? I go, well, 
look what I've got. And she came out from behind the tree. I goes, we've got our own clown. And so we took her across and she was great fun. And we had this clip. We've got all these pictures of her hiding behind anthills and her, you know, and it's like in a place. And we're, and we're saying, you know, oh, well, it was a circus. It was a train was going through and uh, it crashed and the clowns were got feral, you know. And we had such a good day there, you know, and sort of, you know, we got attacked by a couple of kangaroos and, and yeah, and I'm great friends with Fred to this day, you know, she's back in Australia now. Oh, but, wow. Uh, yeah, you know, we had such good fun, you know, we we, and we did the shows and what, I got on to Hey, 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 It's Saturday, which is one of their iconic. Yeah, big time. Yeah, you know, it, 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 like, I had to do that. And, and, I, and I remember there was a guy on who was, um, he surfed and he gets t- towed out by a jet ski into the middle of the bloody sea. And, you know, these big, like, like 100 200 foot waves, you know, these big ones are out in the sea and he gets, and you can only get by, by getting towed up, pulled up by a jet ski and then jet ski lets you go and then you're on the top of this thing, right? <laughs> like wall of water, you know, this 100 foot wall of water and he's in, in, in South we're interviewing him and showing his excavator and then I did five minutes of stand up and then we both talking and he goes to me, oh mate, I don't know how you do that. I went, what? He goes, just stand up there doing that. And I went, you, you, you're joking, talking absolute shit, coming absolute nonsense about whales speaking to me on a beach. And you're on the top of a whale, you know, but stand up seems like people, some people would rather like kill themselves than do yeah. stand up. It seems so scary that sort of, you, you know, I've got actor mates now who go, how the hell do you do stand up? You know, I've yeah. just made a, uh, we just shot Fisherman Friends too. Um, after the pandemic in uh, Cornwall, and that's coming out next year on the 29th of April. But um, we were doing a shoot in a in a club where the where the characters were and the fishermen were doing a concert, and so you know we had all the extras in. You know how long it takes to fill yeah, in the scene, yeah, yeah. In, in all the reverses and all that. And so while we were sitting around setting things up, like swinging a lens or something, I started talking to the extras. I just started doing stuff to the extras and taking the mic and doing a bit of a tune. And you could see the actors. Like staring at me, and then and then after I came up, James Plum said to me, he "Goes, how do you do that?" And I went, "But that's my job. That's yeah. what I do. That's yeah. my day job, you know." But he goes, yeah. "But you had them." I goes, "How did you know what to say to make them laugh?" And I goes, "Cause you test them out, you know." I said a few things, and then and then you go, "All right, I know how far I can go with these." And and it's just because I now had to play a room with yeah. an audience, yeah. and down and watching me going, "Oh my god!" Because I was like entertaining the audience while the extras while they were standing around and it, and, it, and it just came natural to us. I was in front of a mic, in front of a load of audience <laughs> on a stage, but I just started doing the routine, you know? And you could see them all going, wow, you know what I mean? That's pretty, you know? And, and it's like, that's why I got I, Daniel Blake, you know, sort of Ken loves comedians because he says we, we, we are good communicators. And that, that's why he uses a lot of comics with his, he likes using comics because, you know, comics, a good comic can go into a room full of people and make each one of those people think that talking to them you know that, that's what tommy tannen does great he makes oh, people yeah. go go i wish he was my best mate i can imagine having a couple of beers with him you know over in scotland kevin bridges is the same you know yeah. he sells out arenas and arenas and i go yeah but every single person in this room wants to be his best mate and feels as though he'd be a great guy to go out with and that's the thing it's like a love affair you know that's how these comics get like young comics to me god i'm on the circuit and i can't get off in like all these comics that go massive, like Tommy and people yeah. like that, and you know, the audience fall in love with them. You know, the audience have a love affair with them. You know, they absolutely adore them, and that's why they go to see them time and time again. That's how you build up because you get this love affair with your audience, where you build it up, where they, where, where they just have. And then there's other comics who can, who are all right. You can do what they do, but yeah, they never, yeah. but, but they never grab that. You know, Mickey Flanagan has done it, and all the people yeah. that are on and on and on you can go and fill big arenas build you know they capture and um, the imagination you know and you can see the love for tommy you can just see that people are absolutely oh yeah. it's slotted by i mean he could do he could do three nights uh in vicar street here and each night yeah. you know that you're going to get three diff- totally different shows oh yeah he can yeah, just come yeah. on and he'll just he'll just go and that comes and, and that comes from supreme confidence in what yeah. you're doing you know I mean, you know, I'm still doing stand-up because I love stand-up, but I don't do it as much as I used to because of the films, you know? I don't have to, which is, um, because, you know, at the age of 30, in 59, I got a, a movie career by some... <laughs> you know, it was just yeah. crazy. You know? Yeah, I mean, you've performed all over the world. Have you gigged in any weird 
venues, any really, like, really uh, weird, I've weird places. In, I've, yes, I've gigged in a, I've gigged in a Nuclear Submarine, <laughs> and died. Awesome, a Nuclear Submarine. Basically, they flew me out. Um, there's a place, um, there's like an entertainment place in England that, 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 that it's a bit like the old Ensa, you know, where they go yeah, and yeah. in troops. And they said to me, Would you like to go out to Guam in the South, in the Pacific? In and I thought, Bloody right, I would. So they flew me from Newcastle to London, London to Tokyo. And <laughs> in, uh, in, 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 I was out with this guy who was um, something to do with the Navy, something high up in the Navy, and he was like, chatting on to us and going, oh, it's great you're coming out and all this. And he was like, and then, you know, we landed in Tokyo. We had a night in Tokyo. We went out for a lovely um, Japanese dinner. And then the next day we got on the, and we picked up some dancers and a guitarist. <laughs> and we went out to Guam. And they said, right, we, in, in the, and I remember the summer, it was called HMS Turbulence. And it was, and it was a, when we got there, we got up on the thing. There's a young kid who's obviously one of the neighbour kids with a machine gun. I can't, I can't see 10? He's about 10 years of age, he's got a machine gun, this kid. He's the guard, I can't, I can't, I bet the Taliban are shitting themselves when they see him on the submarine like, you know, you know, just give him a packet of, you know, just put, just go, yeah, I've got some smarties. And he's probably, you know, I got on a boat and said, oh, I'll do it in the wardroom of the, um, of the, of the, of the submarine. When I went in, they were all dressed as women. They all had dresses on and a microphone against, and the guy goes, all right, well, you do 40 minutes. I went, 40 minutes standing in a submarine in a wardroom with something like 12 guys rammed in and then the dancers having to stand there and I went oh it was a nightmare I was just and there was a clock above one of the officers heads and it was just going so slowly and they were going to me so I was just as a holder for you Dave because they all knew each other and yeah. I was going yeah 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 I went into Newcastle travel agent I said yeah I'd like I'd like a week Week's holiday, dine on the arse and go on, please. And um, and uh, yeah, it was a nightmare. And then, and then, but 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 what I realized was they didn't want him to. So, so once I started taking the piss, uh, you know, taking the mickey out of them, then it, it then eased up. But it was a long, I, I must have done about 20 minutes. I thought there's no way I'm doing 40 minutes. Now, guys, let's get the um, the singers on. So the guy came over with a guitar, and it was just then we did a big, and then we did a big concert in a hotel uh, the night after, and that was great fun, you know what I mean. But yeah, that's my worst gig, yeah, on a nuclear submarine, yeah. I mean, that must have been, I would have been claustrophobic, you know. Guys who've been under the sea for like three months, not knowing where they are. And then they come up and the minute they get, they get a jolly, a jolly, come on, this is what you need, me. It was just, oh, it was, it was a nightmare. And then I died so horribly on the flight back, the guy from the Navy wouldn't speak to us. <laughs> He wouldn't speak to us all the way back. I had to fly all the way back with him just sitting gun. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was earlier on in your career, like, you know, but you always have a death, you know, there's always a death down the street, you know. I think what happens after you've been doing it for so long is you, you're you able to play the death better, you know. I, I think when you're a young comic first starting off and you have a death, it really hits oh, you hard. Yeah, yeah. You don't know how to control it. But when you've been doing it for years, if you have a death, you just, you, you know, if they don't get you, you can turn it to your advantage by, and you can make the other comics laugh by calling out your death, you know, by just going, you know, uh, you know, there's loads of things you can do. So, like, you know, it just depends where you're playing, you know, and you mm. play the, the audience, you know, but, you know, you know, I'm mean, still, like, I've been doing this for a long, long time and I haven't died in a gig for a long, long time, but there always is one waiting for you when you yeah. think you're not going to do it, you can always go horribly wrong, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, not not that many years ago. We obviously have to talk about this amazing sort of career change for you. Your oh, yeah. absolutely stunning performance in I Daniel Blake. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, you. oh my god, I just loved it. And it was there was some obviously very well deserved awards after Crazy. the film. And you know, the, the, scene, the scene in the food bank. Every time yeah. I, just, I cry. Every time the, the scene yeah, in the food and, bank and, was, and, oh, man. And, and the only person who knew that was going to happen was Haley, Ken, and the and the camera man Robbie Ryan. They didn't tell me that was going to happen that she was going to open the beans. You know, oh, I mean that was sort of like because Ken keeps sort of he doesn't just give you the whole script, yeah, bits of it all the time. You know, but yeah, it was a moving film. It was it was at the right time at the right place. You know, it it, it brought it home because it made people think. Well, you know, that could be my dad, uh, my daughter. 
just need somebody who needs help, you know, because you're always brought up in this country thinking that, you know, social services and social yeah. care that, you know, all right, you pay into it. And then when you need it, it's going to be there, you know. And it was basically just the bureaucracy of what they were doing with people who were disabled, trying to just get them off the books. That's all they were trying to do is sicken yeah. you. you now the sanctions and that and people who've got no money, they were taking money off them. And, they were, and what it was to make you take any single job you wasn't just go I can't bear this I'm just going to try and survive any way I can you know it showed from whistleblowers how terrible the system was and people were horrified by it you know and it just you know it was mentioned in the Houses of Parliament and everything you know and I think that shocked people and I think that's why it won the Palm Door because when we went to different countries when I went to film festivals um, people were always coming up to me and going this is happening here in Spain it's happening yeah. all over and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly proud. You know, I've got a beard now and not that many people, rec- I mean, people still do recognise my voice, but when I didn't have the beard, people would stop me all the time. And every single person who's ever stopped me goes, oh my God, you'll film. doesn't matter yeah. what walk of life they are, you know, they just go, wow, well, I, well, I can't believe it. And when I go on set now, actors who've met me for the first time, they go, your film was amazing, mate, you know? And it's, and it's quite yeah. humbling that, you know yeah. what I mean? Because you, you go, brilliant actors like Stephen Graham coming up to you and going, you were brilliant in that film and you're just going, my God, you're brilliant in everything, you know. <laughs> it was like watching a do- documentary in places, you know, you thought you were actually yeah, watching. Yeah, that's the way Ken works, you know, he shoots it chronologically, so you live, you live the life of the character. That's just the way Ken shoots, you know, he has a lot of, like, you know, the, um, the women that were in the food bank were real women from the food bank. The woman who brought Hayley round was a real woman and she was, he says, no, no, just take her round as if she is. Yeah, yeah. She's an you take her around as if she, as if she's just come into the food bank. So what the woman did was just chatting to her and just doing what she did, and that's how and that's what brings the the realism to it. You know what I mean? You know. How did you get involved in the film initially? Did you know well, Ken previously? No, 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 no. I did a few um, comics. We, we we did some plays up in Edinburgh um, in in the early two thousands. Um, 2003 we did 12 angry men with loads of comics and it, it got great reviews did a great show and then we did um one for the cuckoo's nest and we did the odd couple it was all comics and the guy who produced guy masterson just sent me a text one day saying um oh ken loach is looking for a guy he's making a film in newcastle and it's and, and you're the right age for it you'd be perfect why don't he has the casting director's number so i just texted a a Kayleen and said uh Hi, my name is Dave Johns. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a 59-year-old stand-up comic. I hear Ken Loach is looking for a bloke like me to, to be in his new film. I'd be up for that. <laughs> and Ken thought that was funny. And then they called us in, had an interview with us, and then, and then we did five castings, just five castings, you know, um, where I worked with different actresses, and, and, then, and then he offered me the part, you know. And, and I just thought, wow, I'm working with Ken Loach. Yeah. I never had would go and have a dreamt it would get me a film career and then and then after that film offers just came in you know I worked with like Alison Steadman I did a film with Alison Steadman I've done film with with Stevie Graham I've done you know loads of these great actors I'm going to go over to Belgium early in 2022 to do this film in Belgium with a um just me and another actor a two-hander I've just finished Fisherman's Friends 2 the sequel you know it's just amazing that you know I've had to learn on the job. You know what I mean, and in just and it's and it's amazing that you like you know I was fifty nine. I was doing yeah. stand up, and then something like that comes along. You know, and you always dream about, and that's what I mean about like I try to say to kids, go, well, how do you get in? And well, it just happened. I don't know how it happened. It just yeah. happened. You know, I, I didn't train to be a comedian. I didn't train. You know, I trained on the shop floor. I was funny, and I went up and I learned how to presented how to present myself as a comedian as in the technique the same with filming you know I, I mean I didn't have a clue when I went on set with with Daniel Blake I've never made a yeah. film before but yeah and Ken, Ken was the perfect person he helped us through then the next film I went on they just expect you to know so they're saying all this terminology that you've got no idea <laughs> and it's just in the last few films I've learned about camera technique yeah. and I've watched People like, and I go, and I go, you know, if James Purefoy makes a mistake in a take, he doesn't just go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, he just goes, right, right, just keep on rolling, right, you go back to your line again, and he just goes back in, and he, you know, yeah. and it's same with me now, if I forget a line now, I don't go, oh, sorry, sorry, I just go, uh, right, hang on, just keep rolling, uh, can somebody give us that line? Okay, and then you're back in again, because yeah, filming yeah. is 
you know, it's not a performance like a play where you've got to mm. learn the whole thing and you start. Film is about moments. It's right, about right. taking those moments and capturing those moments. And you have to learn that, you know, you, you, and you have to learn it. And you have to not be intimidated with the camera right in your face. And I mean, I, did, I made a film up in the Highlands of Scotland and, and uh, I don't know if you've seen The Reverence. Have you seen, is it Leonardo, is it Leonardo oh, the Capital? Oh, uh, Revenant. Yeah, 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 The Revenant. Yeah. Um, that's all shot in a technique where it's sort of right in his face. So that's why his face is the screen and it's got, and it's got this big wide lens on. So, so they're doing that to me. So I've got a camera, literally two inches away from my face. And I'm doing a scene with the guy and he's off camera. And they've got like the sound boom over my head. And it's right, and I'm just going, and I just stopped. I went, you know, this isn't off-putting at all. This, you know, this isn't off-putting at all. And you've got to act as though there's nobody there. Yeah, yeah. Just, Wilderness, you know what I mean? And you've got like a boom over your head. You've got somebody holding a lighting board so it reflects the light. You've got the guy doing the lines with you. Their camera's, you know, five inches away from your face. And it's just, and you've got to learn how to just get rid of all that, you know what I mean? And just do what you're doing. I've just had to learn that off trying, you know. And yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. Know, think about film is if you stuff it up, you just do it again. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not like, you know, I, I mean, you know, Hats off to people who do so, um, like you know, theatre pieces who go on and do because in theatre you step on the stage and it just it's yeah. like a runaway train. It just goes with you and you've got to remember it all, you know. Yeah. But you know, but it's fabulous doing film. I love the technique. I love working with people, other with other people in a collaborative manner. Yeah. Um, but stand up, you're on your own. I love the camera, and it's great getting back from the pandemic now and hanging around with all the comics and the dressing because there's nothing like it. I mean, we had, the, um, I did this Radio 4 thing, uh, Fred McCauley's uh, stand-up show for Radio 4, and we recorded it at the, at the Stand Comedy Club in Newcastle. Yeah. Which is great, having a, like 200 in the audience. And then afterwards, with the comics, and Mark Nelson from uh, from Scotland and all that, and all these, and, um, and we just sat afterwards, having a couple of beers when all the, when all the punters had gone, and just fun. I mean, I mean we did this thing about, you know, we just somebody says something about you know Mozart now, and then I says something about oh Easter Pinch, and then I went da 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 da. And he went, that's Beethoven. I goes, yeah, well Mozart used to nick all Beethoven's material, <laughs> and he used to keep the piano um, lid up so Mozart. What Casey was playing because he couldn't hear it quite clearly, you know. And we just got off this thing, and we laughed and laughed and laughed, and I'd missed that for so long. There's nothing better than a bunch of comics in a green room when you see them just, you know, just taking the mick and and just, you know, and just having such a such a great and um, so so I'd never want to stop stand up, but I'm in a lucky position now that I can just do the gigs that I like, you know what I mean? And and you know, and I'm I'm free now, you know. I was saying to a guy the other day, because you're so free on stage yeah. now. I was in I was in Gosport and I said, Yeah, I'm gonna you know why? Because I don't care if they ever book us again. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, it's like you're not worried about take chances you know what I mean you take yeah. chances you know? and it's such a freedom to be able to just say and, and that's what Tommy does he just Tommy now is so so knows who he is and what he is and he knows that that he'll take chances and that's where the lovely stuff comes from where you can take a chance and you're not worried about oh my god if I don't make them laugh you know what I mean you yeah. just trust your you know it's like getting on a surfboard it's like getting on a wave you know yeah. you get on a wave ride it you know and, and of course, comedy doesn't work work everywhere. It, you know, it didn't work in a nook, in a nuclear submarine in uh, in Guam. <laughs> and the guy goes to me, "Yeah, but you were really funny when I saw you in the um, comedy store in London." I go, "Yeah, <laughs> Look, the comedy store in London is a different place than the comedy, than the green room, uh, that than the wardrobe of the submarine." And it's like you know, sometimes I, I describe comedy as an orchid. You know, uh, you see it in a in its perfect place in a in a dingy lit cellar yeah. comedy club yeah. packed in. And it's magic. And then you take it in the bucket to do a Chinese restaurant in the afternoon for a load of people. They go, oh, as good as the one I saw when you were at the comedy store. And you go, yeah, because I'm in a Chinese restaurant. I'm serving you Chinese. And it's like an orchid, you know, you need like you know, it's, it's a beautiful orchid in the middle of the jungle. And then you take it home and you put it on your windowsill in, yeah, yeah. in, yeah. in Birmingham. And you go, oh, it's not as nice. It's not as nice as all it was when it was in the jungle. I don't know what accent I did there. But anyway. <laughs> the guy, you know, but how would you get my drift, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, who would have been your comedy heroes growing up? When I was a kid, Dave Allen. Yes, yes, yes. 
and Dave Allen um, sitting on that thing, just telling those stories. I used to be fascinated. How is he so funny? How is he so funny? Because it looked like he was just making it up, you know? Um, I used to love, um, my dad used to, uh, I used to Hancock's half hour, I used to listen to that, you know? And just that sort of like, you know, how funny. Then obviously Billy Connolly, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, you know, Connolly just brought it home, didn't he, from the folk clubs. He just, he, he, he was the first one who, who people went, I wish he was my mate, you know what I mean? You know, and even people like Monkhouse was brilliant, but Monkhouse was too slick for me, you know what I mean? He's a bit too smarmy, but a brilliant stand-up comic, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comic. You know, had a joke about everything, you know, great technique, you know, all these old comics, you know, like all these old comics who have done... I mean, they had to come from the folk clubs and they had to come from places like working men's clubs, you know, like like I just did the Larkins with Bradley Walsh and Bradley came from that mainstream yeah. thing. And Bradley is so funny, you know what I mean? And he's brilliant on the chase. And, he, and you see him when he, and before he starts on the chase, he does the war, he does some warm up with the audience and he's just bam, bam, bam. And you go, yeah, you're a stand up comic, you know, he knows about it, you know, and that's beautiful, you know, and that's, and that's magic and that sort of, it's just what, when you see really good comedians effortlessly just making people laugh. And it's a beautiful thing, man. And that's what people will pay money for. People want to laugh, you know. It makes you feel good. It, it, it infuses you, you know. And, yeah. it, and I lo- that's why I love stand-up, you know. And I'd never stop it. And I love comics, you know. But, yeah, it was Billy Connolly and, and people like that. And Monty Python. and yeah. You know, which is a bit dated now if you look back at some of the old Monty Python sketches. Now, you know, but, you know anarchic stuff you know yeah. and spike milligan that was always always mad and that you know um and then of course i gave ross noble what his his first gigs when he was 14 at my club we used to have to hide him in the kitchen because he was too young <laughs> in the club you know what i mean his dad used to drive him down you know and look at ross he's fantastic you know great great same thing you know just can take people on a journey you know and it's because of the confidence he's got in himself you know i mean anybody can learn to tell a joke yeah I mean, a lot of comics who are around or who, who are being comedians, if you know what I mean. They they learn how to write a joke and they are comedians and they and they can look as though they are comedians. But there's very few that are special and have that magic, you know, just that magic where you just like, you know, Sean Locke was one of those, you know, oh, man. passed away. I mean, Sean was one of my best mates, but funny. I mean, Sean was just a genius. I mean, an absolute comedy genius. I mean, like the stories I've got, me and him just making each other laugh when I was supporting him on his tour. And, and, you know, just that able to just take these ideas and what it is is make them accessible to people. You know, that's the key. Like, you can't just be like, he take a weird concept. You see some comedians doing weird stuff and you go, but the the audience aren't going with it because you haven't given them the key. Yeah, Sean could get stuff, but he gave them the key to unlock it and go, all right, I get it now, you know? I mean, he had that great joke, Sean, where he goes, um, the North American Native Indian um, doesn't have a word for ownership because they don't believe you can own anything in the world that we're mere custodians and we come, we share the land, we use the land, we use the animals, we use everything in it. And then when we pass on, it's left for other people. So in their language, they don't have a word for ownership, they're a very enlightened people. Mind you, they do have a word for making a little hat out of your sun-dried testicles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a genius joke. That, but you know? it says a lot, doesn't it? When someone passes, I mean, the absolute outpouring of love oh. for Sean was, oh. was incredible. You know, yeah, every, you know, everyone just shows how much someone is loved after friend. they've gone, you know. Yeah, his close friends and family knew for a few years and he was going through the treatment and that, yeah. you know. He did it with absolute... I never, ever heard him ever moan yeah. or any... or any. He just... My friend Kevin Eldon did it. Like, everybody was putting on tweets and messages and he... My, my friend Kevin Eldon did the best tweet, he said, about how Sean took the illness in his stride. Like, yeah. he took everything else with his own mark of humour and his dignity... And it was very humbling to see how Sean handled the final few weeks. You know what I mean? It was just it was wonderful. And yeah, and because everybody knew how funny he was, you know what yeah. I mean? He was, he was just and, and a good mate and a, a great thinker as well. A lot of people don't realise Sean was very a thinker about things. He would say profound things to you, you know, and stuff like that, you know. 
but yeah, that's why I love comics. You know, they 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 are a strange breed. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> well, well, yeah, I was saying about working class. You know, yeah, that I yeah. come class, went into theatre, and you know, and and even to this day, you know, you meet a lot of middle class. You always feel that you shouldn't be there. You know, you always feel that you're the interloper in it. In the, you know, and in, in it's because. A lot of middle class kids there, a lot that I've seen anyway, if, if like, you know, their, their parents, I mean, I wouldn't say this, like, you know, it's not everyone, I'm sure people have a struggle, but, you know, like, they seem, and they seem very confident. If I was a kid and I would go to a student party, yeah, all the middle class kids seemed a lot more confident than what us working class kids were, and we'd be all, you know... Yeah, well, you are, you, you know, and all this, and they'd be all like talking about sort of like philosophy yeah, and politics, it, <laughs> yeah, and all very sort of like seemed a lot more like you know, oh, yes, we are supposed to be here and all that, you know what I mean? Where we were yeah. like, bloody hell, you know, felt a little bit out of so. I mean, I remember going and doing a, a, a Cambridge ball in the early 90s, and uh, and they were all in that suits and all that and, and all dicky bows and we're sitting watching this guy sit, and he goes to me I don't know he goes to me um, so what university did you go to and I went I didn't go to university mate I didn't go, I, I didn't go to much school but I'll tell you what I'm getting paid tonight three grand to take the piss out of you <laughs> <laughs> and it got a massive big laugh from all the others <laughs> you know what I mean you know what I mean um, so you know it's that sort of thing you know but then there's other but you know I've always met that that's a great thing. It's a, um, stand-up was a great leveler, you know. You see people who used to be barristers, who used to be lawyers. Harry Hill yeah. was a doctor, and we all mingled together because we had the universal currency of being funny. And you know, that's a thing that, like, I don't. Under, I, I just don't get people who who, who don't have a sense of humour. I just yeah. go, I just go. How can you live and not have a sense of humour? How can you not find things funny? How can you not find things? Living in the world is hilariously yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just, if you think about it, it's just hilarious. And people get so wound up about things. Oh, now they're going, oh, it's going to be no Christmas. It's going to be no Christmas. It's going to be no toys. It's going to be no turkeys for Christmas. You go, you go, will you get a chicken then? I mean, <laughs> I mean, tell the kids, oh, no, you can't have that toy, you know, but we'll yeah. do something else. Yeah. Like, like I do remember, but oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, what we do? There's people out panic buying for Christmas. I better get I better get a turkey and I better get a, and you just go and you just laugh at them. I mean some toilet roads. I mean in the pandemic. Oh, what man. Was, where did that come from about toilet roads? It was like you're all mad. I mean it's just it's it's just it's just into the internet in all the ludicrous nonsense that goes on on the internet, you know what I mean? It's just it's just in so you have to have a sense of humor, you know? Yeah. bit about music now so have there been any sort of big music loves in your life be it an artist or a or a band jimmy, Hen- jimmy oh, hendrix oh wow jimmy hendrix i was a massive hendrix fan massive hendrix fan um and in 1970 isle of white um it was probably a few months before he died these young these older guys um where where i live were going to, to the isle of white festival and i said to my dad i said can i go because, you know, and he went, no, you're not going. And, and the young lads were going, the 1920, going, no, no, we look after him. And my dad was right. They're not going to look after a 14-year-old <laughs> kid. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're just going to get hammered and then they're going to lose me. And I'm going to be, you know, but, yeah, and now looking back, I goes, of course, but I hate it. I was going, oh, and I couldn't see Hendrix. And then he died. But, yeah, had all the albums, played them loud, you know. I was into, yeah, Hendrix, uh, saw, saw David Bowie. Um, Ziggy Stardust, one seventy two, something like that. Led Zeppelin, front row of Led Zeppelin, um, in nineteen seventy one at the theatre in the City Hall. I paid a pound for the ticket. <laughs> Slept out all night to get the front row. Uh, paid ninety pence to see um, 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 Black Sabbath. You know, so so I sang on stage with Bo Diddley at the. Oh at the, my um, God. I pulled up and sang on stage with him. Um, so, yeah, all that sort of stuff, you know. And the, 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 those were, but, you know, uh, Pink, I, I went to see Pink Floyd, the first Dark Side of the Moon tour, and I was a brick there, and I worked all day. And then me and my mates went to, the, um, to see them at the Odeon, which was a 3,000-seater then, and they used to have bands on. And uh, we went for a few pints before the gig, and uh, 
I was apprentice breaker and I was so knackered. The start of the gig and I fell asleep. <laughs> and I and my mates just left us asleep. And I woke up on the last number and I missed the whole of the concert of Pink Floyd playing live Dark Side of the Moon, the first tour. And I missed it and I had tickets for it. And I was there, you know. How did, you sleep through that? How did you sleep through that? I just I was pissed and, and really <laughs> You know, you know, so, so so all the big rock bands, you know, and um, free and all that sort of stuff. Wow. Like see that. And of course, now uh, in Fisherman's Friends too, we uh, we are Glastonbury singing at Glastonbury, aren't we? You know, but we um, so yeah, but you know, in in I love, I've got a pretty collective taste in music. Now, it just depends on, of course. Great Irish singer is in is in Fisherman's Friends too, Imelda May. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, Imelda May. She made a, um, her film debut. She's the love interest for James Purefoy, <laughs> and she was great to work with. What a voice that woman! Oh, got, you know? incredible, incredible. So she was in that film, you know, and you know I like all sorts of jazz and cage and stuff. It depends what mood I'm on, you know. When I put classical on, my daughter goes, "Oh, killed her." <laughs> favorite gig that you've ever been to who, who would you say if you had to name one if the well i've, I've seen some amazing artists yeah yeah i amazing you know um but the one i have to say ziggy stardust david Bowie, um just being at the sunland empire because nothing nobody had seen anything like that you know what i mean and yeah. my mates didn't go because we're all into um also i saw the sex pistols as well when they were the oh spots. wow yeah, when they were getting barred from everywhere in the world. <laughs> and, uh, and we didn't know that. And, and I went, I'm sure that's the bloody Sex Pistols. So, yes, yeah, saw them. But but David Bowie, without a doubt, just just mesmerising. Or just to be, just to think, I saw Ziggy Stardust was great, you know what I mean? But, yeah, I've seen some, yeah, 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 yeah. But I would say that, and, you know, obviously the rock, like the Zeppelin and all that. Yeah. And stuff. In all them, you know, with with Mick Taylor and all that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Fantastic. You sent you sent everybody. I have to ask, what is Ken Loach like? Is he a serious? Is he a serious? Is he come? I'm I'm assuming uh, he's got a bit of a twinkle. You know, he's got a little twinkle. He, oh, he's got great sense of humor. Great sense of humor. He's. I mean, thank the thank God we've got people like Ken Loach yes. making. I mean, I mean, I mean, he's making another film in uh, next spring, and, and he's up here at the moment casting. And he's eighty six now. Yeah. And Paul Lavin, who wrote that, who, who wrote most of Ken's stuff. I mean, you know, they've got them. They give the voice to people who don't have a voice, you know. And Ken's just such such good fun. And he has he he's got an impish sense of humor, and he loves musicals, you know. Oh really? Yeah, uh, yeah. He loves musicals. His, his wife told me she said, "You know what his guilty pleasure is? He loves musicals. He loves watching <laughs> musicals, you know." And that's hilarious. Him getting into musicals, you know. And uh, I, I remember his 80th birthday, I went up there and I said, um, I bought him, um, I got this CD and I wrapped it up for my hands. Oh, I just got you this, Ken. I says, I don't know, you've probably got this film. I says, but it's one of the most profound, moving films I've ever seen. It changed my life. And I think cinematography and just the whole aspect of it is one of the greatest films I've ever seen in my life. And he went, oh, oh, oh thank, thank you very much. And he opened the paper and it was Herbie Goes Bananas. <laughs> I, said him, I said to him, it's about a talking car, Ken. Because <laughs> <laughs> if Ken made Herbie Goes Bananas, he'd have to get a car that really talked. You know what I mean? <laughs> I said, a car that talks, Ken? And, he was, and his wife was killing us and he was just like shaking his head, you know. But oh. no, lovely, my great bloke. You know, changed my life really, and you know. Oh, definitely. And I love the man, you know. I love the man, you know. Yeah, I mean, Kez. Kez was a big film for everyone, kind of my generation. Oh, that football, incredible football. Yeah, 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 yeah. The football where where, where um, Brian Glover's um, the teacher and he says, "I'm Bobby Charlton and all that, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fabulous, fabulous. You know, we were at Cannes and Mark Rylance came up to Ken and said. Um, Ken, I just loved, uh, I just loved my, uh, uh, I, Daniel Blake, who's Mark Rylance, you know, one of the greatest actors you could ever imagine. And he goes, um, a couple of months ago, me and Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, Daniel came over to my house and we watched all your movies back to back. And Ken said, did you not want to kill yourselves? <laughs> I mean, that's so funny to see that to them. You imagine them two watching your film, oh. Mark Rylance. 
Daniel Much violence, though. He's incredible. I saw him in the West End a few years ago, and he did like a, a 20 minute monologue. It was just. Have you seen? I've got tickets for the new version of of, of, uh, of Jerusalem. Did you see the first one? Oh, no. Oh, where he plays a gypsy guy. Oh, I mean, you look at him on stage, he's going, just give it all up just give it all up yeah so good you know but it's reality you know i mean he came up to me and he said something really nice he said he said he said you know your performance is really true and real you know yeah. that's what he get you know tries to be real you know even if you're playing a, a russian submarine captain or you're playing an alien play yeah. it really <laughs> the truth you know no no it's true you know yeah yeah no i know what you mean yeah i think you, you met donald sutherland as well at, at yeah. one point him walking, I mean, that was in Kai. Kim's walking over to me, and I said to Haley, I goes, That's Donald Sutherland coming over. And he came over, and he was about just a few feet away from us, and he looked at us, and he went, Dave. So I just went, Donald. Oh my God. So I know, I know you're a busy boy, Dave. So thank yeah. you so, so much for chatting with me today. It's been a pleasure. It was a pleasure. It was, it was lovely talking to you, you know, and thinking about all the old things that I never thought about before. And, you know, I love Dublin, you know. I love Dublin, you know. It's, it's my second home, you know. 